good morning. Welcome to the church in Malvern. This morning, Cole is over at Suggard Harvest Church, and I get to be with you today. I am so glad I do. As we're starting this brand new series called The Misadventures of Fire Britches. And you won't believe that there is some excellent stories in my own misadventures of fire britches. And I brought it here with me today. I might refer to that later. I'm not sure. Depends on how things go. But imagine with me for a moment that you were um, writing your own life story because you kind of are actually, you know, I know this seems weird, but um, we haven't finished living our lives but we are in the process of writing those life stories. So try to imagine with me for a moment. So this room is filled with life stories, just like I have uh, stories piled up here on the stage this morning. Um, And we are all in the process of writing our story and adding to our story every single day. And we do that moment by moment, all day long, we are adding to our story. As we live, uh, as we make decisions, uh, as we choose to do things and act on those decisions, as we're choosing our priorities, all of these are a part of us writing our own life history. Now, we're pinning our history our life story, writing it down as we go. Um, And it's the very story that everyone around us is going to read. It's our life story, but they're going to read it. Um, And it happens one decision at a time, one uh, one action at a time, one choice at a time. Uh, Now, for a few moments, I want you to think with me about your story. And we're really talking about a literal story. In your case, in my case, that we're actually kind of, we're not literally writing it, but we are literally living our stories. Um, Every single word we speak, every priority that we live out, every relationship that we experience. And while we're busy writing that story, there's another story going on as well. Now, this other story is uh, is filled with our hopes, and it's filled with our dreams. Uh, it's filled with all of those things that we want to accomplish. It's filled with all those things. Now, the second story is what we hope that our lives are going to become. And so the second story kind of is a little bit more like a fairy tale, because it's kind of out there. It hasn't helped. It hasn't happened. It's what we want to happen in our lives. But that story, the story that's out there that has not happened yet, that story really at this point is just fiction. That's all it is. It's just a piece of fiction because it is not yet a reality. But it can be. It just depends if we choose to live that reality moment by moment, to live that story decision by decision. But until then, it is just simply a tale of fiction. Once we begin making decisions related to that story, that's when it kind of in our own lives becomes a reality. So the only story that gets recorded in our life story, the story that we are writing right now at this moment, day by day, decision by decision, choice by choice, that is the only story for us that truly exists. And so only what we actually do is written into our life story. 
only what we actually do. The rest remains fiction. Our wishes don't count. Our intentions don't count. Our hope tos and I really want to, those don't count. Our dreams about our future, they don't count. Our story is written based upon our decisions, the decisions we make day by day, the actual actions that we take. And for all of us, since we're still here and at this point still breathing, all in this room, that means the end of our story has not yet been determined. I kind of like that. We don't yet know if each of our stories will end up being a tragedy or maybe a comeback story. We don't know. We don't know if in our story we're going to ultimately end up playing the villain or the hero. Because right now, that's still all kind of part of the fairy tale. See, those are questions that we can't really answer right now at this moment because we have not finished writing our life story yet. We're still breathing. Therefore, our story is still being written. So that's the context. Now, I've got a question for you to consider based upon that context. I want to offer everybody a choice now of two words as we get started with this series, just two words, how you would like your life story to be described with either one of these two words. If you had a choice between these words as the core of your story, which would you choose? So I'm going to put myself in here in this statement, but you put yourself in this statement to answer this question. Which of the two words do you want? So here's the statement. Of all the people I've ever met, Harley was filled with so much dishonesty. Mm. I don't like the way that sounds. How about you for your life? Of all the people I've ever met, Harley was filled with such integrity. Man, that sounds a lot better. I know it's kind of a rhetorical question because I don't believe any of us actually want to end up with our story being a story of dishonesty. I don't think we want that. We all would like, if those are the two words to describe us, we all would like to have a life of integrity. But here's the problem. What we wish for and what we would like to happen, what we hope for, what we dream of, that is not what is added to our story. The only thing added to our story is what we have actually lived. And I know this is kind of a heavy uh, entrance into this series, but it is 100% true. Don't you want to be remembered as a person of integrity? A person who does the honorable thing because it's the honorable thing. A person who does the right thing because it's, well, it's the right thing. Of course we want that. Come on. We, we expect that for our lives, we expect the people around us. You know what? The way they treat us and interact with us, we expect them to be people of integrity. That's what we expect. Your boss at work. You expect integrity from your boss. I mean, you expect that he is going to pay you for the hours that you have clocked in and worked, right? We expect integrity from our friends. 
So if you have told your friend something and you said, please don't tell anyone this is between you and me, you expect that it's going to stay between you and that very dear friend. You don't expect that it's going to be talked about later when you leave the room. We expect integrity from our kids, right? We expect them to tell us the truth. We expect integrity from the government, don't we? Actually, yeah. We expect them to fix those potholes out there, don't we? When they show up, we expect that. We expect integrity from the police. We expect them to be unbiased and to offer reasonable responses. But here's the problem. We expect integrity from everyone else, but in my own personal story, well, I have a tendency to cut myself some slack. I think most of us do. You see, I expect integrity from my boss. But if I come in at 8.15, I might just clock in at 8, right? I expect integrity from my boss. I expect integrity um, from my friends. If they tell me something that they're going to keep that a secret and I don't have to worry about that. But then I might find myself in a conversation. You might find yourself in a conversation. We might find ourselves, someone might find themselves in a conversation and they're like, listen, you can't tell anybody this. I promised I wouldn't tell, but we expect integrity from our kids. But man, when you answer the phone and someone asks you to do something that you don't want to do, or you were, you were, uh, you missed an obligation that you we're supposed to be at or supposed to participate in or a deadline you were supposed to have. And maybe the kids hear you on the phone making an excuse of, well, I, I was sick or why it didn't happen. And maybe it wasn't the truth. We expect integrity from the government. We expect them to fix those potholes, to use that money wisely. But maybe when it's income tax time, maybe we don't report everything that we earn. We expect the popo to be pretty full of integrity, don't we? We expect that. We want them to have, uh, to be cool under pressure and to be reasonable, have reasonable responses. But when we find ourselves driving on the road, then we give ourselves some slack with our own road rage, don't we? Or maybe a rant that we want to make on Facebook. You see, when we're writing our life stories, we expect integrity from everyone else, but we often give ourselves some slack. So here's my question. What is it about that? Why is it that that's the way we seem to live? Here's something that maybe you haven't considered. As we're writing our life story, you know, we actually have some help somehow. We've got kind of an ace in the hole if we want to live a life of integrity. L listen, we, we have this voice kind of deep down inside of us, this voice that says, uh, uh, and it's kind of amazing because only we can hear it. You can't hear my voice and I can't hear yours, but it's in there deep down inside. And if we listen, that voice is trying to help us write a better story, a story that is more like that character, that integrity that we want to live, the one that we want written in all of our stories. So we have this voice inside of us. 
you might describe it as a nagging feeling that you have. It's kind of that sense deep inside that uh, is like, I ought to do this or I ought not do that. An awareness of I really should do this or I really shouldn't do that. I ought not say this. It's kind of a directional voice that comes from deep inside and it kind of echoes as a conscience, right? Let me tell you about a chapter <laughs> out, of, uh, out of my life, all right? This happens to be the misadventures of fire britches here. Um, and sadly, <laughs> that's really pretty much the way it has turned out in many cases for my life. The misadventures of fire britches, and I'm getting ready to let you know. You know, this, this diary that I've been keeping and writing for my life, um, as I look at it, I really can't share everything with you because um, if I did, it would be a little too hot. So I decided to share with you just one story out of the misadventures of fire britches. And this one story I have, um, it kind of happened when I was in junior high. Um, it was either the eighth grade, maybe the ninth grade. I can't remember. I have conveniently forgotten. Um, but right around that time, um, it was report card day. And um, so report cards were going home. And uh, of course, that's back in the day when you carried them home from school. So I had my report card, and as I looked at it, um, I, had, uh, I had a D, not a B as in boy, a D as in you're going to be dead. <laughs> I had a D. I, at that point, had never had a D on my report card, and I was a feared. <laughs> I didn't know what was going to happen. I just had all these images of what might happen to me. Um, and so, listen, I did not want to disappoint my parents because they would have been very disappointed in that grade. I didn't want to disappoint my parents. Um, so, <laughs> well, I had a choice to make. Um, you see, Back in the 80s, we had these things called a dot matrix printer. Okay, if you're not aware what those are, look them up. It's a wonderful piece of technology. I don't know why we're not using them still today. Our report cards were printed on a dot matrix printer, and they were printed kind of in uh, triplicate. So the school got a copy. Uh, there was the master copy. I don't know who got that. And there was a carbon copy. That's what we took home, something like that. Printed with a dot matrix printer. They were really very quiet printers that would go, they would screech at about 96 decibels. And they're, they're printing these little dots and, and it would make words and it would make things. And so I, I discovered something though. If you took a really sharp pencil, just a standard number two pencil, um, you could... Uh, change a D into a B, <laughs> right? 
I'm sorry, guys. They don't use those printers anymore. And actually, I think they send them in the mail. But uh, and then you're looking at a federal crime. If you <laughs> so, um, so I, if you you could just you could work on that really. And I and I loved art. You could work on that and you could turn that D into a B. So I had a choice to make. There was something inside of me though that was saying, Harley, 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 you ought not do that. This is wrong. Don't do that. You really shouldn't. And I was thinking to myself, well, man, you know, it's, it's not going to hurt me to do this. And honestly, no one's going to know. It's not going to hurt anyone else if I do this. Because, listen, I, I, I'm going to bring that grade back up. It's not going to stay a D. Uh, it's not going to be on my permanent record. This is just kind of a middle report card interim. Yeah, it's, it's just it's no big deal. And really, it's going to, if I do this, it's going to help me avoid some really uncomfortable, potentially painful consequences. Um, but there was just something inside of me, something inside of me that was saying, don't do it. You shouldn't do it. Don't do it. And that voice was pretty clear. I, I didn't have to guess. The voice was very clear. And you know what? And, and deep down inside, I knew. I knew it was right. I, I knew it was right. I really shouldn't do it. And listen, in the end, <sighs> I'm a good kid. I'm a good kid. And so I heard the voice. And in the end, there was absolutely no way, no way at all, that I was going to take home a D. So <laughs> I changed it. I changed it and I deliberately changed that D into a B and I never told my parents, they've both died uh, now and I've, I, they never knew it. So I don't know if they know it now or not, but they didn't know it then. I, I got away with it and I did bring the grade up. But you know, I straight up intentionally deceived my parents. I lied to them. There are many, many stories in my misadventures of fire britches, I promise you. There's many places where I did not listen to that voice. I didn't do what I knew that voice was telling me that I should do. Many places where I lied. Many places where I told partial truths which students a partial truth is a full lie. There's many places where I did that in my life. You know, I've got a quote here. I'm going to put part of it on the screen. This is from an actor named Ben Affleck. He was reporting uh, not reporting, he was speaking to a reporter. He said, people with compulsive behaviors, and then Ben said, he said to, of himself, and I am one of those. He said, they have this kind of basic discomfort. That's what we have on the screen here. They have this kind of basic discomfort, Ben said. It's there all the time, and we're trying to make it go away. And as he went on, he said, about himself, you're trying to make yourself feel better by eating or drinking or sex or gambling or shopping or whatever, he said, but it ends up making your life worse. Then he added this, 
Then you do more of it to make that discomfort go away. You see, he says the real pain starts then as you're trying to make that discomfort go away. And he describes it as it becomes a vicious cycle that you can't break. He said that to New York Times in 2020. Maybe Ben was talking about that same feeling, that nagging feeling that I had deep inside of me, that feeling that I wanted to hush, that feeling that I wanted to quiet, the feeling inside of me that said, don't do this, or the feeling that says, do that. The feeling that says, this is good, or the feeling that says, no, 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 Harley, this is bad. Have you ever thought about this? What is that feeling that we all have deep inside? That feeling that tells us without us wanting to, it tells us this is good, this is bad, this is right, this is wrong. What is that? Because we all seem to have it. Think with me for a moment. Each of us in our own stories, how do we actually decide for ourselves what is right and what is wrong? How do we do that? Who gets to write that part of our story in our lives that comes deep down inside of us as an awareness? Who gets to decide that, right or wrong? You might think, well, I, I just know. It's just always been there. Okay, but how do you just know what is right and what is wrong? Because we do. Think about the big overarching story of your life. For your complete life, who gets to decide what is right and what is wrong? Is it maybe just survival of the fittest? When I think of that, I think of, well, okay, who has the most money? And right now, it kind of is probably, it bounces between Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos. They're up there. They're up there. So the space guy and um, the Amazon guy, do they get to decide for most of the world what's right and wrong because they have the most money? Or maybe, maybe the Walmart family. You know, when Sam died, they divided it between all the kids. Maybe, maybe when you had, maybe all those Walmart kids get to decide for most of the South, because I mean, we, we, we like Walmart. And maybe the Kardashians and the Jenners get to decide for California. They got a lot of money. Maybe they get California. And, and maybe it's the lottery winner, though. Uh, the 49-year-old from Snortsickle, Arkansas, who got $100 million, maybe he gets to decide for Arkansas because he's got a lot more money than I do. Maybe he decides. But we have to ask ourselves, what does money have to do with anything about knowing what is right and what is wrong? That can't be it. Can't be money. So maybe it's the person who has the most power. And then we look at the history of the world with the people who had the most power. We look at one genocide after the other. The genocide of Darfur, I don't know how to pronounce that, but I do know this, about 200,000 people died under that leadership. The Rwandan genocide, 800,000 people died under that power and leadership. The genocide of Bosnia, 200,000. The killing fields in Cambodia, that genocide, 
That guy killed 1.7 million people in his country. That was one out of every four people died in his country under his rule. Hitler, six million Jews. Clearly, it's not the most powerful person that gets to choose what is right and what is wrong. So maybe it's the most talented people. Hmm? I mean, they seem to think so anyway. They tell us on Facebook. They seem to think so. So what about Michael Jordan, LeBron James? What about, uh, what about football? What about Tim Tebow? Maybe he could tell us. Or what about uh, Jack Nicholson? Great actor. What about Tom Hanks? Fabulous actor. <laughs> so what is it about being able to shoot a basket and throw a football And what is it about someone who's able to pretend to be another person in a movie? What is it about those talented people that can tell right from wrong more than I can or more than you can? What is it? It can't be talent. That can't be the answer. Well, maybe it's just our culture and our tradition. So each culture gets to decide for themselves what's right and wrong. And then we look at the history of cultures. Let me just mention one. Right now, to this day, the Democratic Republic of the Congo, you know what? They they approve wife beating the whole place. And you know what? There's 15 million Cambodians who agree. Their culture says, that's okay. We can do that. So clearly... It's not the culture who gets to decide. Well, maybe it's, maybe it's more of a democratic type of response. Maybe it's a vote. Maybe whoever has the majority vote gets to decide what's right and wrong. We don't have to look too far back into our own history to discover that's not a great idea because the majority of the vote said women don't have the right to vote one, at one time in our history. And one time in our history, the majority vote said that slavery is okay. So I'm going to have to say that the majority is wrong a lot. So that can't be who gets to decide. So maybe it comes down to this. Maybe each one of us gets to decide for ourselves what is right and what is wrong. The Population Reference Bureau. They have stated and and they have estimated that there has been about 107 billion people who have ever lived. And so if we go with this, then we would be saying that there are 107 billion ideas of what is right and what is wrong, because what is right for you is right for you, but what is right for me is right for me. So that can't be it either. If integrity is doing what is right because it's right, and it's something that we expect of other people, we expect them to have integrity, but we give ourselves a pass. Who gets to decide that standard that's deep inside of us that says this is right and this is wrong? But this is what's so interesting to me. Because there is undoubtedly Something already in us, unless we're a sociopath or a psychopath, there's something in each one of us that nudges us in a very specific direction regarding this is right. 
there is undeniably something inside of us that says we ought to do this and we ought not do that. We should do this. We shouldn't do that. What is that that's deep inside of us? The Apostle Paul gives us a clue. He gives us a hint. So when I say the Apostle Paul, um, this guy was writing his own life story as well. And just like we are writing ours. And his story started off very differently from the way that his story ended. The first half of Paul's life was very different than the second half, those later chapters. As he was several chapters into his life, his life took a very serious plot twist. He was the Christian hunter who became the Christian. And Paul affirms for us that there is, there really is something inside of us that we did not put there. It came from the outside and that something that is in there kind of is over us. It rules over us. And he affirms this, that God has placed at least a couple of things inside of our lives. Inside of every single person, God has written the first lines of our stories. Here's the first thing. Paul describes that written into each one of our lives is an inborn knowledge. Not full knowledge, but a knowledge, an inborn knowledge that there is a God. It's in there and it's written into our lives. A knowledge that there is something out there that is greater than we are, greater than us. It is beyond us. Paul says it this way in Romans when he was writing this to the Romans. He said, they, and by they, he's speaking of everyone out there. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. Paul says that God has made something not so difficult. He's made it obvious. It's hard to deny. Here's what he goes on to say. He says, for ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. He says, through everything that God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So Paul says they have no excuse for not knowing God. And then he says, here's what they did with that knowledge. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give God thanks. Not only did Paul say that that was written into our lives, a few verses later, listen to what Paul says next in Romans chapter 2, verse 14. He says, even the Gentiles who do not have God's written law, speaking of the 613 old covenant commands, he says, even though they don't have the Gentiles, they don't, and the Gentiles, simply anyone who's not a Jew. So that includes me and probably all of us, even though they don't have God's written law, they show uh, that they know his law. In other words, some parts of this law are just in us. They know his law when they instinctively obey it without having heard it. You see, I think this is so important. 
Because none of us get to start our lives from scratch. We don't start our lives from a blank page. No one gets to make the first part of their stories themselves. God writes that in. Because God has already placed some profound things inside their lives, inside their stories, in our hearts, Paul says. Paul goes on. He then uh, drives this home in verse 15. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts. Written in their hearts. Now listen, this is not the sacrificial law that Paul's talking about. Paul's talking about that law, you know, how to live with people, how to live on an earth uh, in, in, a, in a community around other people. Those laws of how you do treat people, how you don't treat people. He says, they demonstrate that those laws are written in their hearts. And he goes on, for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them that they are doing right. In other words, um, you get your report card and you start to change that grade from a D to a B, but you pause because you hear that voice deep inside and you think, I really shouldn't do this. What is that? And Paul says that is something that is written inside of you and inside of me. And it's written by God and it creates a tension inside of our lives. If we're about to go against that voice, something already written in you by an outside hand that you can't seem to erase because it rules over you. Wow. I, I find this absolutely amazing. Here's another thing about integrity. When we go against that voice, when we go against that voice that's in our heart, in our head, that voice that says, don't do it. You know, it's sometimes easy for us to ignore that voice because here's what we begin to think. Well, you know what? Voice? This is really my business, not yours. This is my life story, not yours. If I do or if I don't do something, it's my business. I'm the author. I'm writing my individual story. It is my story. This is my integrity. This doesn't concern you. And we might as well be saying that about everyone around us. It is mine, not yours. So back off. You worry about your story and I'll worry about my story. But we have to realize this. Yes, it is individual, but it is not isolated. Although integrity is an individual decision, it is not isolated to just you or just me. There's a thing that's actually called structural integrity. Um, it's an engineering term. If one part of a structure, like for instance, this stage, um, I probably max out the weight limit on this stage just myself. If one of these posts under the stage were to give way, then that would mean to carry my weight on this stage, my weight would be transferred to another uh, column holding up this stage. 
that structural integrity. If one part of the structure gives way, it transfers the load to another part of that structure. It transfers the load. Uh, uh, Engineers know all about this, structural integrity. I, I don't. This is, as I've been studying this over the years, this was news for me. So if one part of that structure fails, it gets transferred to another part. And if that happens often enough or for a long enough period of time, eventually those other parts of the structure give way because they're carrying more load than they were designed to carry. It's because the load transfers. That's why. Uh, Next week, next Sunday, I believe, is going to be 9-11, September the 11th. We know what happened on September the 11th. And when those towers collapse, let me describe to you what happened with structural integrity. Each floor of the World Trade Center was designed to carry its own load, the weight of that floor, plus it was designed to carry an additional 1,300 tons. That's a lot of weight. Each floor was designed to do that. And when that first floor, there were maybe about 10 floors above it, when that first floor gave way, then it sent all of those 10 floors, that floor plus all the 10 above it, that weight came crashing down on one single floor that was designed to carry its own load plus 1,300 tons. Now, in this moment, it was carrying 45,000 tons, and it collapsed immediately going to the next floor, which added the 45,000 tons plus that floor, and each one collapsed just as if it were a domino. It went straight down almost without a pause because the load was transferred, and that floor could not carry the weight of the load that was transferred. It was only designed to hold its weight plus 1,300 tons. Of course, it gave way. When our integrity fails, when our integrity fails, our life load, everything we should be carrying responsibility for, our life load shifts, is transferred to someone else. And the transfer of that load eventually damages, maybe even destroys those who are around us because they are now carrying their load plus our load has been transferred onto them. And they are now carrying a load that they were not designed to carry. They were not meant to carry. So you see, here's what happens. This is why this is so important. When we ignore that nudge that is written deep down in our hearts, when we ignore that nudge, that, that those things that, that God chose to write on those first pages of our lives, when we ignore that nudge and we do something that we know we shouldn't do, we felt the nudge, we knew it was wrong, we know we shouldn't do it, the repercussions are significant. Yes, my friends, it is my story, but my 
my story impacts every character that is connected to me. And you know what? Paul says, and I think we know this about ourselves. Paul says this, this has been written inside of you by a hand outside of you. And you can't seem to erase it because it rules over you. And Paul describes this as something that will either accuse us or he says it will tell us that we're doing it right. You know what that is? That is something that's in you that just says, if you do it right, it says, listen, Harley, listen, you, you did it right. Yes, you did a good job. Chest bump. You did it. You made it. You said no when you should have said no. You said yes when you needed to say yes. You did what you should have done. And in that moment, success gets written into your story. In our life story, we all have a starting place, which is the very first part that God has already written in our hearts. There's no other really explanation for this. We're not starting with a blank page. God has already given us a head start. He's given us a measure of him and a measure of his law. He's given us the very first steps that we can take but, uh, toward moving and becoming a person of integrity. And when I listen to that nudging, that is integrity. It's doing the right thing because it's the right thing. It's doing the noble thing because, well, it's the noble thing. And integrity is something that we expect in everyone else's story, but somehow conveniently we omit it in ours. We give ourselves more creative license. We set ourselves on an alternative plan. I don't know why it is that we have this tendency to hold other people accountable to the standard and we don't apply it to ourselves. And yes, the truth is, it is an individual decision, but don't make the mistake of thinking that that decision is in isolation. When we ignore that inner nudge, we end up creating a mess. And I want you to know there are many messes inside of my, my life story. Anytime we ignore that inner nudge, we end up creating a mess. You know what we tend to do after we've created that mess? We try to rewrite it. We try to pull out an eraser and erase a few things. We can't. It's non-erasable. We try to rewrite it and try to re-explain it into a better light. We try to redefine the mess. Oh, it's not really a big sin. I just made a mistake. We try to redefine it. We try to simply maybe then just turn around and blame other people for what ends up in our story. Or we deny it's there. Or we excuse ourselves and say it's not really that bad. But in the end, that chapter remains. And it remains as it was written. It remains the same. And in that, we're also leaving other people to clean up our mess. We're asking them to do it. We're shifting that load of responsibility onto them. We're handing it to them. And eventually, for that person who has to carry my load, my responsibility, that relationship suffers because 
my integrity failure causes them to carry more weight on their life. It causes them to clean up my messes. And it adds to the struggle that they experience in their life. Invariably, their story changes because of my story. Their story might take a turn because of my story. My story can change the course of someone else's story, of someone else's life, turning what may have been a happily ever after into a tragedy. So this is what we've said today. Today, we've kind of described integrity as doing what is right because it's right, doing the noble thing because it's the noble thing. And to help us with that, we said this morning that God has already placed some of his law written deep down in our hearts. It's something that has already been written in you that came from a hand outside of you that you can't seem to erase because it rules over you. And we've said this morning that integrity is something that we expect from other people, but in fact, we love to see it in other people, and we celebrate it in other people. We admire it in other people. But oh, how often we cut ourselves some slack, giving ourselves a pass when we miss it. And so that leads us to some questions. And these are questions we're going to do our best to answer as we move through this series this month. Integrity. Here's the first question. How do I get it? We're going to answer that. Integrity. How do I keep it? We're going to answer the question of what happens if I lose it? Can I get it back? We're going to try to answer the question of what happens when I mess up. Now, this morning, we're going to suggest two next steps this morning. Two next steps. Here's the first one. And this is something that every one of us can do. We're going to ask you to be sensitive to that hand outside of you that has written something in your heart that is constantly reminding you what is right and what is wrong. We're going to ask you, will you pay attention to that voice? Will you notice that voice? What is that voice deep down inside of you trying to tell you about your story? about the part that you're getting ready to write. What is that voice telling you? Right in that moment, what is it telling you? Pay attention to that this week. We're going to ask you to listen to that voice. Pay attention to that voice. And here's step number two. We can all do this. Step number two, we're just simply saying, come back next week because we're going to begin answering these questions. So this week, pay attention to that voice. Every time it comes up saying, you should do this, you shouldn't do this, you should say this, you should not say this. Pay attention to that. Notice that voice. Be aware of that voice. And it happens right when you're about to write something into your life story. So I hope you'll be back with us next week as we talk about the misadventures of fire britches which I'm afraid probably is all of our stories at some point. Let's pray. God, we're asking you to help us with this. God, we're asking you to help make clear that voice that you have placed inside of us. God, so often we've just credited that as, oh, that's just a feeling. 
But God, it seems that Paul is telling us that it's not a feeling. It's something that you have written into our lives. God, would you help us to pay attention to that? Would you help us to be aware of that this week? And God, would you help us to be aware of what is being written in our life stories? Help us to be aware of what is written deep down inside of us that came from a hand it's inside of us. It came from a hand outside of us. And God, we can't seem to erase it because it rules over us. Help us to sense your voice this week. In the name of Jesus, we ask these things. Amen.